what do you think is your role or the role of people, you know, followers of Jesus in society today? And don't overcomplicate it. Just make it, make it simple. Uh, but go ahead, Adam. What? Make disciples, all right? Pray. Encourage. Be salt, okay. And light, okay. Salt or light. The salt and light people. Who's, who's a salt person? Who, no, just kidding. <laughs> we just start the, start the division right here. Uh, role models, okay. Now, what I want to do, though, the, the, all that, I would say there's a lot of agreement that that's true. Those are Bible words and Bible ideas. But what about we take it to a, a more practical place where we start envisioning what it looks like, like really on the ground, day in and day out, real life. So I want to look at a story, if we could, that we're, it's a story of uh, a famous person in the Old Testament, and it's a, it's a very brief story. It's in, it's in 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, under the chair seat in front of you, there's paperback Bibles, you're welcome to use it, and it's page 255. I'm sorry, 256. Now, I want you to just hold those opinions. Those are good, what you mentioned. But, but this story is a, the story of a man who, a man named Elisha. And it's, it's how he began to find his role in the culture of his time. And it's really interesting. You may... When you first read this, it's going to look so, wow, sort of miraculous, and, and I can't do that. But I want to help you see, just real simply, that can be translated into where we are in, in a hundred different ways. And it doesn't have to be so dramatically miraculous, but it can be. Uh, so let's look at this, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. The men of the city said to Elisha, and the city is Jericho, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. So what it was is they had a spring. Uh, you know, a, a spring is, is fed by, usually by local aquifers, and, and so this, there's something that's polluting the spring. And, of course, the spring, then, is what waters and irrigates the whole uh, territory and community, and because the spring was somehow contaminated, the land was unproductive, so people couldn't farm. But they said, it's beautiful, it says it's well situated, and if you know the area of Jericho, it's like perfect, it's like Ohio, it's perfect for farming. So Elisha says, bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it, and the word bowl there, it was like, it really meant big container, okay? And put salt in it, so they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into the spring, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word of Elisha. Excuse me, according to the word Elisha had spoken. Now, let me tell you something just about this time that, that, uh, and, and the details of this so you, you kind of see the context of it. This, the, the world that Elisha lived in ha, has some amazing parallels to our world. It was a time in Israel after the time of Solomon where Solomon was sort of the pinnacle of, of ancient Israeli society and history. They were prosperous and influential and powerful. They were like really the superpower of their day. But then they started to decline. And at this point, the, the nation had split in two through a political division. And, and that those Israel and Judah, the two sort of entities that came out of Israel, began to be in open conflict with each other. And they were, you know, the, of the same tribe of people. But there was this tension. Uh, it was a very, th their, their country became very multicultural. A lot of people moved into Israel uh, during this time from other countries. 
uh, so it was, it was uh, socially very diverse. Uh, politically, they were divided, like I described, you know, not unlike the divisions that we're experiencing today, but, but they were actually uh, in conflict, physical conflict. They had a, this running sort of civil war. Uh, third, they had, uh, they become, as a nation, morally corrupt. There was just a, a lot of corruption of every kind. Uh, it was a very violent place, both uh, halves of Israel, Israel and Judah. There's was, was just a lot of violence that went on. There was an extreme amount of injustice. The people who were in power would just use their power to just take land indiscriminately. If the people didn't like it, they would kill them. I mean, their own fellow citizens, they were just not eminent domain. It was like, hey, I like that vineyard. Let's just go take it. I'm the king. I can do what I want. That was commonplace during this time. Uh, last of all, there was a deep spiritual compromise. So instead of being faithful to God, they had really become um, compromised by the values of the, uh, of the community that they were in. And uh, they were supposed to be examples of, of justice, examples of uh, love, examples of generosity, example, examples of faithfulness to God, and they had just become compromised by the way everyone lived around them. And so at this point, uh, these, well, all through the history of Israel, God would raise up these people called prophets. And what prophets were supposed to do was they were supposed to, to, to speak God's word to people and to say, listen, God made a, co- to the Jewish people, God made a covenant with you you have this relationship with God. You need to be faithful. He's faithful to you. And if, if you're not, things are going to go sideways quick. And by quick, over years and decades, you would begin to see God either engaging the people and his blessing on them or pulling his hand away and things would start unraveling. And so that was what was happening during this time. And one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament was a man named Elijah, and you've, you've probably heard some stories about Elijah. If you've been around the church, you know, the Sunday school in particular, Elijah's stories are in there. But his successor was a man named Elisha. And it was just one letter difference in the Hebrew. But both Elijah and Elisha were kind of like farmer prophets. So they were farmers who God called out of this vocation of farming to become spokespeople for God. And so this is... Right when Elisha comes on the scene. So there was a very dramatic succession when Elijah, who had been prophet, it was time for him to end his tenure. And God supernaturally just came and grabbed him and took him to heaven. It's one of those kinds of stories in the Old Testament. You just go, what was that about? You know. And some people have said, I remember back when I, I saw the movie The Chariots of the Gods back in the 70s, anybody read that book, Church of the Gods? All right. Uh, this was the kind of situation where they said, see, UFOs. Okay, you guys, you're just slowing the uptake here. Anyway, Elisha had been following Elijah because he was training with Elijah to succeed him. And what Elijah had said to Elisha is, what can I do for you? It's sort of like, you know, what can I help to prepare you? And, and he says, well, What I want is when you leave, I want a double portion of God's spirit on me that has been on you. Like, I want to do it twice as good as you. And so Elijah goes, well, that's difficult. That's going to be challenging. But if you see me when God takes me home, then that that prayer will be answered. And so Elijah just uh, traveled all over the place from that point on, and Elisha just stuck with him. And so prophets would often wear kind of unique clothes that would designate that they, you know, had this role. And so uh, Elijah had this thing that they called a mantle. And it was sort of like a, uh, a vest. Uh, and when Elijah was taken up into heaven, the vest fluttered back to the ground. And Elisha went over just before the story we just read. And he picks it up and he realizes, okay... <laughs> I saw it. God has left me this mantle. And so he puts the mantle on and he walks over to a river because he has to cross the river to go back where he was because Elijah had gone on 
a, a ministry trip on the other side of, of the river. And he takes it off and he strikes the water and he says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And the waters part. It's a miracle. He walks through it. Well, there's all these uh, young prophets that Elijah had been training. And they saw it and they said, oh, you know, the Lord is with Elisha. He's like, he's like the main prophet. And so they went over and they, you know, they began to, to uh, start this process of sort of recognizing him as, as the, the leader of their prophetic band. And so from that point, immediately you see, okay, the, the, the prophetic succession has happened. And Israel is, in, is not in a good place. And so Elisha suddenly has to figure out, what is my role in all this? What do I do? I know what Elijah did, but do I do the same thing? I mean, he's in this quandary, and immediately, this situation presents itself. Where the city of Jericho, and here's the thing about Jericho. Jericho is a city that has a history. It goes back all the way to the earliest days of Israel's history, and it was a city that was particularly violent and corrupt and unjust. And, I mean, it, it, it was a bad place. It wasn't the bad side of town. The whole town was bad. Archaeologists have gone into the ruins of Jericho because, they, they, you know, as they dig down, they, they found the ruins of the walls of Jericho. And what the city of Jericho had a reputation of, of doing, and this is why God judged the city was they would take children and they would offer them as sacrifices to their various deities. And then they would take those children's bodies and they would put them in uh, jars and they put them in the walls of their city as a as sort of saying, God, you know, you gods protect us because we're offering our children as sacrifice to you. And they would grotesquely mutilate them. And so there's all these remains of all, I mean, you know, you know how when you, archaeologists, when they dig up sites where ancient civilizations, you can find out so much about what went on in places and, you know, the, the culture and the learning and uh, the government and the day-to-day -day life. And, and what archaeologists have consistently found all around Jericho was it was a bad place. In fact, at a certain point, the, the, this famous Jewish leader, Joshua, he had cursed Jericho after they defeated Jericho and leveled it. And he said, may no one ever rebuild this city. And if they do, may they suffer the loss of their firstborn and their secondborn and their thirdborn. And, and, and may it devastate them. And so in the narrative of Israel's story, you see at a certain point someone rebuilds, starts rebuilding Jericho. Because it was in a beautiful location. I mean, it was like... That's where you want to have a city. And so some enterprising person said, let's do it. And the narrative, and I think it's, in, it's earlier in 1 Kings or it's in Chronicles, the narrative describes how that's a, the person lost their first three children over building, rebuilding the city. So the city of Jericho here, it's this shady city. And... Along comes the prophet who's supposed to stand up for, you know, for what's good. And the people, the new leaders of the shady city, come to the prophet and say, Hey, we've got really, a, we're, we're between a rock and a hard place. The spring that, that irrigates our whole territory is, is contaminated and the land is, is unproductive. It's all ruined. Can you do something? And now you might tend to think with what I just told you that the prophet would go, you know, he'd flip him the bird and say, get out of here. There's no way I'm helping you. You guys are bad dudes. This city is bad. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Does this sound familiar at all? Oftentimes the way that the church can be. But this prophet who had, I mean, this is his first prophetic action. Elijah is known for like <laughs> judgment and calling down the fire of God on the bad people. And you think, Elisha, he must 
he must be ready to carry out the same kind of sort of mission. You know, let's, let's squash the bad people. But what does he do? He says to them, bring me a new bowl, a big container, and put salt in it. And then he takes the salt, he throws it in the spring, and then pronounces in the name of God, cleansing, supernatural, miraculous cleansing of the aquifer. And we don't have any idea what caused the aquifer to be polluted or contaminated, except it's inferred that God did it. Because throughout history up to this point, Jericho is uninhabited until, you know, uh, a decade or so before this story. But they're still struggling to reestablish a community. And you'd think, well, God must be a bit against that kind of bad place forever. And so Elisha comes along, and the people of the community ask him for help, and he doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't tell them, hey, you're just getting what you deserve, you know. You're lucky that, that, you know, you, you, that you're alive. He doesn't do that. He takes salt, which is a symbol of preservation. It, it, it has all kinds of positive images with it. He pours it into the spring and, and heals the spring miraculously. And it's a picture of something that most people who, who explain scholars, Bible scholars and teachers, when they look at this story, it, it does get your attention given the context of this time and how corrupt everything is. And you'd think God would be against this kind of place. But one of the things that, that the Old Testament and the New Testament are really consistent about is that God is way more merciful than people think. He doesn't overlook wrongdoing. He holds us accountable for our behavior. But there's a saying that's in the New Testament that you can see in the Old Testament. It isn't stated, it's demonstrated. And this is like one of the many, many places you can see it. Is that mercy triumphs over judgment. This isn't a city, Jericho, that's been under judgment. For good reason. And God comes along at a very unusual time and says, My people, Israel, are so corrupt, you can't see my mercy through their lives at all. They are, they are so compromised and so selfish and so materialistic and so divided. They're, they're just all eaten up with hatred. My spokesperson, my, this prophet, Elisha, is going to demonstrate to you my heart. And so God partners with the people of Jericho to heal their land. Which is a theme all the way through the Bible that God wants to heal our land. Literally the earth we live on and everything that the earth supports. It is the heart of God. Everything we mess up, and that, this is one of the redemptive lessons of this, is no matter how badly we mess things up, God gets the final word, and he's going to redeem everything. He's going to repair everything. You know, just like what Eduardo and Sarah are talking about, they've had a wild history as a family. And the ministry that they want to, or that they're carrying on, is, is, was born out of the struggles that they had. And they live in Europe where they just go, there just isn't this kind of care and support for families there. You think there would be, but there's not. And they struggled through the conflicts and things that they had in their marriage to get to this place where they're at this healthy place now. And they go, we want to help other people who are going through the same kinds of struggles. And that's always the heart of God. And again, God does hold us responsible for all the choices that we make. But what he offers us when we start recognizing the mess that we create is he offers us mercy. And so that's this picture here. So what I, what I want to ask you to think about is if th this is sort of a parable or a picture that Elijah, I, I want to suggest to you that Elijah is us, the body of Christ, you. Jericho is, is our community, our Jericho. You all live in a Jericho. You could say the city of Jericho is our community. 
I mean, the city of Columbus is our Jericho. Or you could say your suburb is your Jericho. Or you could say even your neighborhood is your Jericho. And in the neighborhood, there are, people call these seven mountains, but I'm going to call them springs because I think it's a flexible metaphor. There's seven big institutions in our world that influence us. Just like the spring here in this story influenced and, and shaped everything. We have government, we have business, we have education, we have faith and religion, we have the family, we have arts and entertainment, and we have the media. These are seven springs that feed, and, and, and they either enrich or they debase and corrupt the communities that, that they feed. And we, look, if you look at what Elisha did here, he saw his role was to redeem. And that he carried some, he was sent by God carrying some influence that was potent, that was way more potent than anybody imagined. Now, the, the fathers, the leaders of Jericho came to him they recognized something in him. Even though he was sort of new to the scene, they said, can you help us? And all over our country right now, like I'm, I, I, I just, I've been in ministry a long time, and I know people all over the place. And I've, I've mentioned this before. Like once a month, I, I'm on a, a Skype call and I have some friends who are working up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And in December... They had just had this meeting where they were organizing for, you know, 2018. It was December 2017. And we're on the Skype call, and, and they're just telling us, they said, we just had the most amazing meeting just before this gathering. A couple of days ago, we were planning for 2018, and, and it was all these Christian organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area. San Francisco is, in the whole Bay Area, it's a, it's a very liberal place, and it's very hostile to faith. I mean, they're openly hostile to, to Christians in church. And yet all these Christian organizations are serving their city despite how they're treated. And they're caring for homeless people. They're, they're trying to build affordable housing. They're doing all the things that the pain of their city is telling them needs to be addressed. So you know how the first responders are supposed to be when they see the fire, you run towards the fire. Well, these groups in the Bay Area are doing it, and they're, they're, they're doing it on their own dimes. Their churches and, and uh, you know, NGOs, non-governmental organizations. So these guys were telling me, they said, we had the wildest meeting. Four different mayors arranged uh, of different suburbs in the San Francisco Bay Area. Or they said, we want to meet with you, you guys. And they said, sure, you know, we're kind of, we're going to talk with you about what you're doing and what, you know, how we might partner together. And they, they got together with them and they said, Listen, we, we are totally without answers for how to handle the problems that we have. We, we are so resourced financially. Because you know the Bay Area, it's a very, very rich part of our nation. They have a lot of money. But they had thrown money at problems for years and years and years. And the problems are just getting worse. We don't hear a lot about it because, you know, we're, we're in a different part of the country. But every once in a while you'll see some kind of an article about homelessness or about, you know, the economic disparities there, just all kinds of things. Uh, and they, these mayors said, listen, we have, we have to admit we have been hostile to you up to this point, but, but we don't have any answers anymore for, for what we could, how we should resolve these problems in our community. And you guys are the only ones that are doing anything that's making a difference. And so we've all gone to our city government and we've all kind of negotiated with each of the, uh, our institutions that we represent that we're going to come to the church and we're going to start partnering with you. We're going to give you money. We're going to support you. We're going to suspend our hostility to you because you guys are the only ones that are showing any good results in what, what you're doing. And we want to be a part of it. I think that's going to happen more and more and more. The thing is, the church is going to have to have 
a different attitude that it's had. So what I want to do for, for a, a five, five to eight minutes or so is I want to ask you a question. If we are Elisha, and there are springs in our community that are contaminated and they're wreaking havoc in our community. The land is, is well situated, but it's unproductive. What is it that we're supposed to do? And I don't just mean, see, see when I asked you before, what's our rule? You said salt, but it's going to have to be more specific than that. Light, it's going to have to be way more Boots on the ground specific. So what I want to ask you to do is, like in groups of three or four people, just wherever you're sitting, just turn around and take a few minutes and just brainstorm. What, and, and think from your own personal point of view. Think of your Jericho. Think of the springs that you're close to. Maybe you work in government. Maybe you work in business. Maybe you're in education. Maybe you, you, you work with families. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Whatever, whichever one of those seven springs that you're situated near, what is it that you think can be done that's very down-to-earth and practical that, that we could suggest? So what I want to do is just brainstorm five minutes or so, and then I'm going to ask you to give a quick report. Take a couple of the things and tell us what, what you discovered as you discussed what what you think you could do okay so the seven springs again business education um, media arts entertainment family religion somebody help me i've lost one of them there's seven i gave you six government thank you so go i'm gonna give you give you five minutes if you're not with a group, just walk over and find a group, Kathy, Kathy Condon. Go over there.
Okay, you guys have one minute. Okay, everybody, if you haven't solved Jericho's problems by now, you're not going to solve them with more time. Everyone come back and find your seat. Hello. The people of Jericho were more cooperative with Elisha than you are with me. Everyone, come on, find a seat again. I need you to give me a report now. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm being, I'm getting an appeal, an urgent appeal for two more minutes. All right. You're on the clock, Jay. <laughs> okay. I like that picture. He looks pretty upset. What? Too bad I didn't do that teaching today. <laughs> okay, now you have another minute. Okay, sounds like you're close to being done. Okay, so maybe one or two of the groups that are over here, someone be a spokesperson and just give us a, a couple of the ideas that you came up with in your group. Somebody. All right. Okay. 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 So, um, one thing to do, I think everyone, one of the main goals is to find out how to do the right thing by the right thing. Your organization is about to work with you, so you have no idea what they may do. Because to be honest, some people will do the thing by the right thing. Okay, so it, 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 at least you have to own the fact that you're called to be a change agent. That, that has to be this. If you don't get to that starting point, you won't ever get to anything practical. Go. Go. Thank you, Jay. Um, Say it again. Oh, sorry. Um, so we're new to the church. So we were talking about like being part of a community and how we can um, help each other and um, like what we can do to help other people that, you know, are kind of looking for help, but they don't really know how to ask um, kind of thing. Um, she was talking about how, you know, she has people in the neighborhood that don't speak English, but she's trying to find a way to help them out and see how she can get involved to um, get them the help that they need and they can't ask for. So. Like Excellent. That. That's good. Boots on the ground right there. Thank you. Anybody else in this area over here? Need a mic? Do you guys have anything from back there? Uh, 
uh, we came up with leading by example. Okay. That whatever field you find yourself in to, you know, not just preach to people and, you know, that sort of thing, but uh, show compassion to people. Show something the opposite of the world, you know, compassion, mercy, and love, and, and all of that. You know, the people don't see that a lot. And it, it just so, you know, and that's, that's a way that's very strongly attracting them towards the right, you know, towards the Lord. Cool. And Thank you, Mike. So. Excellent. Over here. Yemen, you have something? Yemen, you're this, always the spokesperson, so we, no, right here. Jay, Yemen. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, we are talking about uh, we can do something to bring change. Uh, I was sharing about the example we did at Kenya. And at Kenya, we got a family. These two, one, one she was a single mom and she has two kids. And uh, they told us they never been in school, the children, because they don't have money. And uh, I heard that thing and I told my kids, uh, we can help this family. And we did. And we put them in school. Now they are happy. You know, we can bring change. Now they are like the, the big one, she's in grade seven. The youngest one, she's in grade six. Uh, after that, uh, we, my husband wrote a proposal and he appealed in the US and they, co they got scholarship. Now they are in boarding school, Christian boarding school in Africa, Kenya. That family, they are so happy. You know, you know we can bring Excellent. change, like make our neighbors, maybe our neighbors, they needed our help. Thank Excellent. You. Excellent. Thank you, Yemen. Thank you, Jay. Boots on the ground. All right. Okay, well, since we all were, I, my Jericho is my neighborhood. And so I was walking my dog in this one neighborhood, one um, house. The, the weeds were just really high. They have a um, a tree like this and a big rock. You couldn't even see the rock. So as I walk my dog, I'm like, oh, look at that neighbor. Look at that yard. And God said, go pull their weeds. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, go pull their weeds. So I did. I go and I pull their weeds and I get my mower and I mow the grass and I never saw the people, never saw the people ever. And the neighbors were coming around. Are you doing, what are you, what are you doing? Are you doing this? You know, I said, well, our pastor's teaching on love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbors yourself. This is my neighbor. I'm helping them. And so one day I was there, and the kids came home from school. The garage door opens. A grandma comes out. A mother pulls up. And they're all just standing there looking at me. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, my pastor's teaching on love the Lord your God. They're Muslim. My, my pastor's teaching on love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You're my neighbor. And I'm, I'm pulling your weeds, and I need to mow your grass. And the little boy's there, and I said, can you come with me to my house and get my mower? And the mother's just, <laughs> he goes, yeah. And so I pop him in my car. We go down and get my mower, come back. Where I start mowing. I go, well, do you want to mow? And he goes, yeah. And so I have him out there <laughs> mowing. I'm pulling weeds. And the mother says, well, we have someone that comes and mows. And I said, well, you better fire him because they are not doing a good job. <laughs> And so then, this was last year, so, so shortly after that, like once a week, we would see somebody there mowing, and I would kind of pull weeds and things, but well, this year it's starting again, it's all grown up. But I saw someone that mowing, and I was talking to another neighbor, it was her neighbor had come over and mowed. So it's just, I don't know, it's just do what God tells you to do, and I think it'll all work out. Okay. Well, we talked about um, how we all have a personal story with, with Christ. And sometimes we, we tend to see other stories more important or more valuable for, for us to relate to. But um, I'm just thinking about, like, our story with, with, with the Lord is very important. And people around us are really struggling trying to find other stories that can relate to them as well. 
And so, you know, Paul talks about like being the perfume for people around us. Like we have a treasure inside of us. And for example, for, for us, like the family path is really the treasure that we are carrying. And we, we do believe that people are anxious, like eager to hear a story that really reflects their own lives. And we all have stories and that's treasure that we, we should share with others as well. Good point, Eduardo. Excellent. This crew, you got? Okay, so we're gonna go. Okay, to go in the next section. Or, 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 uh, Hold it. So one thing, one thing that I try to do at work, um, and Corey and I, we both discuss this. You, you mentioned Michael leading by example. It, it, to, to specify that, do not discount the, um, uh, the the favor that comes in sharing your personal or professional failures with others, especially from you know as I get older and I look at you know I say oh you know, we've talked about generational. Well, this isn't how they did it this way. This is how they did it this way. But what you can do, um, instead of myself included, like labeling somebody a millennial, you can say, okay, if they have tendencies of this, say, you know, here's a personal or professional time in my life that X happened and the outcome was Y. And I learned this from it. You don't have to go into, so I don't want to see you going down the same path. I don't want to see you going that. Just say, here's what happened and let them take it from there. So lead with, lead with weakness. That's good. Yeah. We're, it's a hot potato. If there's a dispute over here, we have several. But um, we just felt like, um, well, I just felt like God was saying to um, take care of the widows. And there's widows in our church. And not necessarily just single moms that we need to take care of. And not necessarily in a monetary value, but cut their grass and um, just do the things like Donna was saying. And, you know, John brought up a good point. Like, there's, there's, there's so many of us in, in that, you know, that I, I talk to that need mental health guidance that, there's, you have to pay cash for it. Nobody can afford to do that. And that maybe we could start a fund for that. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. It's, it's this sunflower thing, seriously. That's what's going to get us there. Danny, stand up. Uh, kind of what we were um, discussing was, you know, the homeless problem. We've all of us have some experience with uh, with that, and if it was an easy solution, then it would we wouldn't have a problem still. Uh, but we were just discussing how, you know, there's not one answer. Uh, there's different reasons why people become homeless and. Uh, what I was kind of thinking is that, you know, we, we kind of hit one area, you know, like we used to uh, do a lot of, you know, ministry at Rebecca's place, and we would be there for an evening, and then uh, some of us would continue meeting with the, you know, residents, uh, some of them that were uh, not there anymore, but kind of seeing how they were doing once they, they left the, the homeless shelter and how, you know, how much of a difference that seemed to make a lot of times and whether they would return to the homeless shelter. And my, my thinking just sitting here afterwards was thinking, well, you know, we really need somebody that, you know, if the government came to us and said, look, how do we take care of the homeless, you know, you really need somebody that can cut through the bureaucracy of of things and 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 get things done and you know there's they need jobs they need mental health care they need 
all these things. And, you know, yeah, the shelter would find them a job, but I don't know if they'd always find them, a, you know, always a good place to live or, you know, things. There's so many facets to what they need that one, one person, one church, one, you know, just the government can't do it by itself and that it needs to be something that, you know, somebody can take the reins and, and just co be able to coordinate everything. And I think that's in the, in the spiritual side of it as well. So, uh, and not forgetting that part of Good. Uh, their needs too, so. Thanks, Danny. <clears throat> uh, okay, I'll, I'll. You know someone that needs food, you are welcome to come to the food pantry and get the food for them, even if you don't need it. So I open that invitation up to you. So it would be such a blessing to come with a basket full of food to their home. So I'm just offering that to you. Okay, very good. Over here, we've got right. two groups over here. <clears throat> Keep it shorter, we're gonna try to wind up. <laughs> Ralph. guys you're, you're never at a loss for words come on morning I'm new here I'm enjoying this but so we talked about moving we were just gonna leave and find a new neighborhood and then we realized nah, that's probably not the thing to do so we said a lot along the lines of what everybody else was saying it has to start with us you can't look to others before you look to yourself so our conversation was being mindful of what we bring into the community when we look at the other pillars the social media we're not going to rely on somebody else. We're going to start with us first. Be mindful of how our actions within our daily lives, how much television we consume, how much social media we let our children consume. And that was the, the bulk of our conversation. It starts with us. You can't expect somebody else to step up when you're not going to take the initiative and the responsibility yourself. Excellent. That's a great one. Thank you. All right, we, we were talking about um, where we're deployed. I was having a hard time figuring out where I was deployed. I know where they're deployed, but they came up with something that was a lot better than that. So, Dirk and Chantel? Yeah, Dirk. Yeah, the Dirk, guy that does this no, for a living. <laughs> Dirk's a man of few words. Right. Um, I was just going to say that we sort of came to the conclusion that our our Jericho is our cancer support community. You're not standing up. <laughs> um, I work a lot with um, other spouses that have a spouse with cancer, and we're in some um, support groups for the cancer, and I've actually kind of, by default, become like a leader for our state of Ohio. Um, and we're also thinking that we might kind of become um, a resource for people who want to come to Columbus to specifically go to the James for the type of cancer that Dirk's, Dirk has. It's very rare, and the James has some of the um, cutting-edge treatments for it. So we're thinking that that might be a, a place for us to begin ministering. Excellent. Yeah. And, and specifically, um, when you travel, you know, there's not a Ronald McDonald house unless you're a kid. So they're thinking about doing an Airbnb for people who are coming into town because they've got some rooms and some things like that. So it was real specific, too. And that was very powerful. So very Excellent good. Excellent idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do we have over? Okay. Hi, I'm Diana. Um, this kind of goes a little bit along the lines, but we talked about um, at first just um, there's a breakdown in families and support systems and the power of mentoring and coming along people and recognizing needs and meeting them and developing relationships. But one thing that I thought of is that a lot of times we do not have all the tools to do this. So when I listen to you about your cancer support, I think it'd be amazing to develop a resource guide within our church of different needs um, that we can meet, you know, you can support in that. If people have gone through kind of marital problems and they need counseling, 
it'd be nice to have things that we can give someone a name and a number and, you know, and we can still support them, but then they can get the real names we need. So I think just a tangible sort of resource guide that we as a church can present to people instead of just saying, we'll pray for you, you know, that's powerful, but here is a tangible thing yeah. that we can help you with. So Yeah, amen. So we're going to close with this just a moment that we're going to have to stop. Uh, the uh, carriage is going to turn into a pumpkin here if we don't stop. So you heard lots of different ideas. Maybe one of those ideas seems, wow, that, you know, I hadn't considered that. Maybe that's what in my Jericho I could do to make a difference. And one of the limits that we have as people is we think, in, in a weird way, we can think too small or we can think too big, me meaning if I can't do something really big, I can't change anything. And the truth is, loving someone well, loving your neighbor well, as you heard, like Donna just did this little thing of mowing and weeding, and it inspired other people in our neighborhood to start doing the same thing. If you just love people well, it's a profound thing. And it, you can love, as, as I've heard so many ideas about how you can love your neighbor, the person right close to you, your Jericho. And there's, there's more, you know, we could, have, we could do this for weeks and come up with just amazingly creative things. Because over the years in our church, we've done a lot of wild things that have been really impactful in our community. What I want to ask you to do just for a minute is we're just going to take about a minute of silence. And I want to pray and then give you a minute of silence. And I want to ask you just to put before God, put your heart and your life before God and say, God, I'm willing to do something that you want me to do. And it might have been something you heard, might have been something you came up with. But would you ask God to confirm to you what he wants you to do? That, that something you can do where you are just to get going, to get started, okay? So I'm going to pray. Wait a minute, then I'm going to pray a benediction. We're going to release everybody. So, Father, uh, we've heard from your word. We've heard from your people. And now we want to know what you have for each of us, something very concrete and specific. And, now, we just want to listen to you. Would you speak to us in Jesus' name?